Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 and 15 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is with you. Thank you, and what a great day to be together in the house of God, to welcome our brothers and sisters who will join the, this family of faith here at National Presbyterian Church. We're glad you're here. Glad for those of you who are joining us online also. And Lisa, thank you for reading scripture for us this morning. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, we come now to the second lesson in our Lenten series, and we've, we're focused over these next few Sundays in Lent on God's persistent love that today we see displayed through Abram and his wife Sarah. And if you were with us on the first Sunday of Lent, we started with two big words, the words of chaos and the word covenant, as we saw it in Genesis 9. And the takeaway for us from Genesis 9 was that despite humanity's chaotic ways, their, their, their sinfulness, God persisted. God made a covenant. God made a covenant with the whole human race through Noah and his family. God made a covenant even with the animals and all of creation. It was a, a universal, it was an unconditional covenant where God said, never again will I destroy the earth with a flood. 
And the sign of that covenant, as we heard in the reading last week, was this beautiful rainbow in the sky. And God said, this rainbow then is a sign of my promise, a sign of my faithfulness. And it's the covenant that God established through Noah and with all animal life that the life on earth continues onward. Life goes on to the end of time because God has made a promise. God made a covenant. Today we come to Genesis 17, and God makes what seems like a more limited covenant. This time it's not with the whole human family, but it's a covenant with one family. It's a covenant with, with Abram and his descendants. Unlike the covenant in Genesis 9, this one has a condition built into it. Abram and his family must walk before God and be blameless. And we'll talk more about the meaning of that word, blameless, in a minute. So my question as I read through the story of Abram, and it's a story that I started in chapter 11 to sort of get Abram's father and all his family all the way through till he died. The question I've asked myself as I read Abram's story was how did he do? Did he truly walk blamelessly or consistently with God? And as you read Abram's story, we discover that Abram and Sarai were not perfect people. And that comes as no surprise because we are not perfect people. If the strength then of this covenant rested on their perfection, we wouldn't be here. It would crumble if it truly depended on them. But as we look at Abram's life, we see that God's saving grace, and it was God's power that buttressed this man's life, that saved him, that led him, that directed him. You say, how did God do that? Well, one of the first things you notice as you read through the early years of Abram's life is that most likely he and his family were polytheists. Abram's father's name was Terah or Terah, and his name means one who worships the moon. They worshiped the objects in creation, living in the land of Ur. Most likely they worshiped the sun, the moon, maybe the stars. And somehow, in God's own free and mysterious way, God called them away from pagan worship to the worship of the one God. They became monotheists. Instead of worshiping creation, Abram is now worshiping the creator, the one who made the sun and the moon and the stars. Imagine, imagine this little unit of a family living in a majority pagan culture, worshiping the elements. And then you have this one family who are seeking to worship the creator. How does that happen? Again, it's God. As we read the Old Testament, as we read the New Testament, we discover that salvation, God's saving work, the transformation of a person's life, it's 100% the sovereign grace of God. Despite all that, Abram and Sarah were not perfect people. It seemed like only yesterday that Judith and I were 
younger parents busy trying to raise three very different active children, different needs, different wants, different personalities. And as a young father, nobody gave me the manual on being a father, but in my heart, I wanted to be a good father. I wanted to serve the needs of my children back then. And maybe I'm being too hard on myself, but when I look back on parenting our children, one phrase that comes to mind is that I, I over-promised and I under-delivered. And I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who knows what I'm talking about. It goes something like this. Often, Dad, next weekend, could you go riding with me? Or, Dad, next weekend, could you help me just work on my shot, my jump shot? Or, Dad, could you take me to the mall? And being a supposedly good father, I said, of course, sure, I will, I promise, I'll do it. But then I found out as I look back on my life that business, whether it's because of my own lack of being fully organized, business is a beast. Business, somebody says, is of the devil. And next weekend does come. Dad, are you ready? Ready for what? We're going riding. You're going to help with my jump shot. You said you'd take me to the mall. And then the famous words of dad, I'm so sorry. I forgot. I can't do it this time. In my pastor world, I had a meeting. I had this, trying to finish up a sermon. And the kids' famous line, I can still hear them, Dad, you promised. And the famous dad's, dad words back then were, okay, how about next week? Seriously, next week, I promise you, next week. Time flies by, doesn't it? Our children aren't interested anymore in riding a bike or helping with a jump shot or going to the mall. Time flies by so quickly. And at this stage of being a father, I sometimes wish I could just roll back time. I wish I could get a few mulligans, a few do-overs. But in Genesis 17, I'm so glad that God is not like this kind of father. I'm so glad that all the promises that Almighty God made, that God kept them. Yes, from our perspective, they seem delayed. From our perspective, God's calendar and our calendar, they just never seem to sync. They never seem to come together. But friends, I want you to know this morning that God never forgets. Particularly as we look at Genesis 12, 15, and 17, God came to Abram and made promises and rendered a covenant. And I was a little confused, I must admit, as I read through those chapters again. And I started asking myself, how many covenants did God make? Did God make three covenants or one covenant? Then as I read the chapters slowly, pondered them, I discovered, yes, God made one covenant. But over the course of 24 years, God repeated the covenant to Abram. Over and over, why? The problem that Abram had is a problem that we have, and it's called spiritual drift. 
We're prone to wander. W-A-N-D-E-R. We are prone to engineer our own plans. We try to help God. Maybe God has forgotten. Why is God taking so long? Let me try to move things along as if God needs our help. And unlike our heavenly father, our earthly fathers rather, God doesn't forget. God isn't trapped on a treadmill of busyness. God doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. As a great hymn of the church, Come Thou Fount, says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, prone to spiritual drift. And that's why when you read Abram's story, God comes to this man and repeats the promises from age 75 all the way up to one almost 100 years old. Why? Abram, like you and me, we get wobbly with our faith. And yet, yet, as you read the scriptures, Abram is still referred to as the father of faith. Not because he was so stellar, not because he didn't waver, because of God, the object of faith, with whom there is no change, no shadow, no shifting, no turning. God never wavered. God was the anchor to which Abram's fledgling boat was hitched. And so because of God's immovability, because of God's constancy, Abram's faith kept burning. Quickly, for example, Genesis 15, the Lord comes to Abram. It's one of, my, one of my, my all-time favorite verses. It just says the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Abram, I am your shield. The King James Version says, your very great reward. The version that we're reading in the New Revised, it says, your reward will be great. And the first thing out of Abram's mouth, he says, he begins to complain. He said, Lord, you're making me all these promises to me but where is this child that you keep telling us about? God is not perturbed. God doesn't get angry. God said, come with me. The Lord led him outside, and as we heard in Jill's message to us and to the children, he told Abram, look up into the sky. Abram, see if you can count the stars in the sky. And in my imagination, Abram foolishly begins counting. And maybe when he gets to about 500, he realizes it's hopeless. There are too many stars, and God said, bingo, so will your descendants be. Do you know what happened right after that? After that powerful moment, what happens in chapter 16? Sarah is now wobbly in her faith. She is anxious. She's filled with shame because this is the first, the first and the worst thing that could ever happen to a woman living in that ancient Near East culture was to be married and still not have any children. And people in that culture are just like people in our day, to, people in our culture today. We talk about each other behind, behind each other's back. And they were saying that, you know what, I think that woman Sarai, God must have cursed her. She must have done something wrong. So Sarai decides, God needs my help. She gets her servant girl, Hagar, brings her to Abram. 
And before long, Ishmael is born. For a moment, their joy, their satisfaction could be put in a thimble. Because soon after, trouble, confusion, anger, discord breaks out in the home. What was to be a problem, a solution, is now a problem. 13 years later, Abram is 99 years old. By this time, Sarai said to, to Hagar, you can't stay with us anymore. You and your son leave. Too much conflict in the home. Abram is still wondering, when will God's promise come to pass? We open up to Genesis 17, and you may have missed it as Lisa read the passage, but there were three new names that were introduced in the text. The first name, Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, here's the first new name, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. This is the first time in the story where God is introduced, God reveals God's self in this way, I am God Almighty. And there are those who question the meaning of that name. Some say the word El Shaddai, that's what God Almighty means, means God of power, God of might. Others say no, it may mean that God is what's called the breasted one. Imagine a mother who is breastfeeding and nourishing and supplying that child with life. God is saying, I am the breasted one. I'm going to supply you. I'm going to resource you. I want you to walk before me and be blameless. Others say, well, I think it literally means El Shaddai, God of the mountains. You think of all the powerful, iconic mountains in the Old Testament, whether it's, whether it's Mount Moriah that you'll read about in chapter 22, or Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, or Mount Pisgah, Mount Zion, Mount Calvary. God is the God of all time, the God of all the mountains. And God says to Abram, I will make my covenant between you and me, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. In other words, God is saying, Abram, I know it's been a long time. You're 95. You're almost 100 years old. I know from your vantage point it's a long time, but keep walking before me. Don't turn aside. Don't drift. Don't, 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 be, don't try to help me. I am God Almighty. And the response of Abraham, he's blown away. He falls on his face in worship and surrender to God. Two more new names are introduced. God changes Abram's name. He was called Abram, meaning exalted father. God said, no, you shall now be called Abraham, the father of nations, the father of multitudes. Someone said, you can imagine Abram after this encounter with God meeting someone for the first time, and they say, what's your name? He said, my name is Abraham. And everyone in the room who knows him, they're laughing. What's wrong with that old guy? He's calling himself the father of multitude, the father of nations. Doesn't even have a son. God changes Sarah's, Sarai's name to Sarah, the princess. He said, well, what's the big deal about a name? Well, a new name signifies a new future, signifies something, something amazing is about to happen. We're, we're sort of in that stage right now. Our daughter is expecting a child. And every time I hear the name of the child, I get a little happy. 
something jumps in my heart, that name. So God says in verses 4 through 8, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. I've made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan for perpetual holding. I will be their God. you flipped over to chapter 21, which you don't have to, we're told that the Lord did exactly what he said. Sarah did conceive, gave birth to a son, and they named him Isaac. And Isaac gave birth, Isaac became the father of Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of a new nation called Israel. Kings came out of Israel. And ultimately, as we said in the Apostles' Creed, that the king of kings that you and I worship was born of a virgin. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah, savior of the world. God kept his promises. The whole world is now blessed through Abram in an ultimate sense because of the birth of Jesus Christ. Next time you're reading your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1 where you get all the begats, the genealogy, and that first line, it talks about Jesus and his ancestry with Abram. In the very first line of Matthew chapter 1, God keeps his promises. You know, Trumper Longman, who is a wonderful Old Testament scholar, comments on this passage. He says, faith is a firm conviction in something or someone that they will be true to their word. On the other, one, on the other hand, unbelief is also a firm conviction that they will not. And then he says, doubt entertains both possibilities. And in the case of Abram, he was wobbly. His belief, his faith fluctuated between unbelief and belief. God finally reassured him by giving him a son. If you're honest with yourself, we are just like Abram. We struggle with doubt. The hardest thing in the world for us is to live by faith and not by what we see. We're all from the state of Missouri. Did you know that? We're from the show me state. I have to see it to believe it. And that makes it so hard because no one in this room has ever seen God. No one was present on that beautiful Easter morning when Jesus walked out of the tomb. So how do we believe then when we can't see? Well, part of a journey of a Christian 
is that we recognize that the faith didn't begin with me, didn't begin with you, that there's this history of God working through people, and we then believe, we live into the testimony of those who came before us, which means then we must walk by faith. We're justified, we're made right with God by faith, by trusting the testimony of God's word. And even then, it's one thing to believe in God, and many of us would say we believe in God. It's one thing to believe that there is a God, but it's quite another thing to believe God in the existential moments of our lives. Living faith believes the promises of God even when everything around us is screaming at us, telling us that it's futile, it's hopeless, it's foolish. Thanks be to God that we're anchored. And so as we journey to the cross, I want to remind us that you do not walk alone. We walk with God. God walks with us. God holds us. We're not holding God. God is holding us. And God promises, I'm never going to leave you. I'll never let you go. As we walk through Lent to the cross and beyond, we must constantly ask ourselves, am I standing on that foundation of faith in God? And the reason why we need to clarify that is because the times in which we live, and you know it, these are tough times. Our faith is always being tested. Our faith is under fire. And like Abraham, friends, we're facing challenges as a people. We're facing challenges as a nation. We've just come through a pandemic. We're living in this swirl of political confusion and name-calling. And then to boot, we all have our personal issues and problems and challenges that no one else knows about except God. But God knows. God sent me here this morning to tell you that your existence doesn't depend on you. That the health of your life and your family doesn't depend on you. That the future of this blessed congregation doesn't depend on us. Our future, this nation, and everything around us rests on the promises and the faithfulness of this living God. And so we do not fear. We're not alone. We walk hand in hand with this God who demonstrated his love toward us so powerfully, so, so viscerally that he gave his son to die on a cross, shedding his blood, the covenant of the blood of Jesus. We look to that. So I don't know where you are this morning. I want you to have this kind of faith, not in ourselves, but in God. Do you know God Almighty? Do you have any rivers in your life right now that are raging and you cannot move? Do you have any mountains before you that are so large they overwhelm you, they depress you? Well, I want you to know that this faithful God is the God of the rivers. He's the God of the mountains. He's the God of the, valley, the valleys. And God is able to do what no one else can do. And that's why we worship the God of Abraham who works wonders 
who brings life out of death, who brings love out of hate, who brings peace out of turmoil, who can bring joy out of misery. And I want you to trust him. I want you to learn about this God. Ditch your opinions. Put them in file 13. Begin to pick up the scriptures and learn about this God who has chosen to reveal his nature, his being to us through holy scripture. Read it, ponder it, meditate upon it, and you will learn that this God makes promises, keeps those promises, and never lies. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's children say, would you pray with me? To you, O oh Lord, we lift up our soul that we would not be ashamed that all that threatens us will never triumph over us. To you, O oh God, we put our trust. We wait upon you, Lord. As hard as waiting might be, we trust in your goodness through our sickness, through our conflicts, through our pain. We trust in you and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.